we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending Jesus for us. Lord, I thank you that you are so willing to give your life for us, Father, that you have provided everything. Everything we need is in you. So, Lord, I pray that we would just put everything else aside and just seek your face today. We adore you. We love you. We exalt you in this place. You give life.
Jealous for me. 
I just heard on the news the other day that there was a family 
that has in their possession the, the original rules and, and layout for the first game of basketball, which was, which was played at a YMCA by, a, by somebody who wanted to have a new game. And so they nailed a peach basket to the wall and threw the ball into the basket. And every time somebody made a basket, they had to climb up a ladder and get the basket out. And they were, they were offered, these are the original writings of this back in the 1800s. They were offered like $4 million for these scraps of paper. What determines the value of an object? What someone is willing to pay. That's what determines the value of any object is what someone is willing to pay. See where we're going here? How valuable are you? You are as valuable as what the price is that someone was willing to pay. Are you loved? Are you valuable? He gave, he gave his life away. Your life was worth nothing because we were lost in trespasses and sin. We were irrevocably lost. But we have been redeemed, the Bible says. Peter tells us we have been redeemed, not with silver and gold, not with those kinds of things that men have put value on, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that ought to put a smile on our face. That ought to, that ought to make us sit up a little bit taller. Not in, not in pride and arrogance, but just in the idea that the creator of all things has put incredible value on us. Father, thank you. We know that in and of ourselves we are not worthy of, of what you have done. But you put great value in us. You, even in while we were yet sinners, you commended your love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that just, the great price that was paid, the unbelievable price that was paid, the, the unspeakable price that was paid says that you value us and you love us beyond anything that we can imagine. Paul says, for a, for a good man, would anyone die? For a, a righteous man, would some dare to die? But you died for us while we were still sinners. can't help but love you because of the great love you've shown for us. We love you because you first loved us. So today, Father, we worship you and we exalt you and we humble ourselves before you and we thank you for loving us enough to rescue us. We needed rescuing. We needed to be redeemed and so father our hearts are filled with gratitude to you and in those in that gratitude we give into your kingdom because there are so many who have still not responded to the great message of the gospel and so we give into your kingdom and we ask for wisdom 
so that your kingdom will be expanded as those monies are expended. Bless our tithes and offerings today, Father, as we give to you out of hearts of gratitude for all that you have done for us and all the promises that you have made to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, I just pray that you'll open our hearts today as we, um, as we look into your word. Um, Lord, I know that there are people that aren't here today simply because they are, they're just feeling sick and under the weather. And I know that there are some folks that are here that would rather be home in bed because they feel the same way, but they came and Lord, I just, I just pray for your healing touch to go through this place and heal those who are afflicted in any way. And Lord, just um, help our minds to just focus on you and your word for just a few moments. And Lord, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts. We, we need to hear from you today. Um, we want to hear from you today. And so... As you speak, we will listen in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are going to look, we've been we're talking about values, and um, two weeks ago we looked at how we value the free gift of salvation, and we talked about grace, and the latter part of that value was the tr- uh, we value the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and we looked at how that works last week. And I need to stop right now, because I almost made a serious error. This shows you, it just shows you when my wife isn't here, I'm out of sorts. I look back at her, and I just, you know, she just, she just communicates with me um, and she doesn't give me the look. I don't get the look. Well, I sometimes get the look. Okay, I sometimes get the look. Okay, but she, she, she has this, you know, she'll just look at me and it'll remind me. But I just looked back over the audience. She wasn't there and I almost made a grievous error today. And I, I'm going to stop right now before I go any further. Um, last week we had, um, uh, we had the opportunity to, uh, uh, to bring Rick into our um, into the, um, as a member of the congregation. And there was, there was somebody who wasn't able to be here last week, and, and, and that's Kevin McKinley. And Kevin, I, almost, I looked back there and I saw you sitting there and I went, and that would have been something my wife would have, you know, she would have just looked at me and I would have had, could you come up, Kevin, Kevin wants to become a member of our church and I know the reason Kevin wants to become a member of our church is because of my dynamic preaching. 
I know that there's a better reason than that, and it's, and it's fine. But Kevin has said that he would like to just, this is where he would like to serve the Lord out of, and we're, we're delighted about that. And, um, and I think, and I know that, that he's going to be a, a, a real asset to the, to the congregation here. Um, and, and so, Kevin, I just, I want to, the Bible calls this the right hand of fellowship. Okay, I'm going to give you the right hand of fellowship and welcome you into the congregation. And for those of you who are already members of the church, you're going to stand with Kevin and join with him in the work that the Lord has given us here. Would you, would you stand as well? And uh, um, very good. The rest of you can stand. And we're going to just have a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you and praise you for my brother Kevin. And Lord, I know that um, in the scheme of things, he's very young in the faith. And, uh, but his heart's desire, in the conversations we have, his heart's desire is to know your word and to learn more and more about you. And so, Father, I, just, I thank you for that hunger that you put in him. And I thank you for bringing him here to this church. And Lord, I just pray your blessing upon him and however you decide to use him in the work of the kingdom, expanding your kingdom, I pray that you will make that known to him and your blessings will rest upon him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Okay. Now back to uh, we we were t- we were talking about values, and uh, today we're going to look at the at the second value, and the second value has three points to it, but we're going to cover them all today. We're not going to sh- stretch them out uh, into three weeks as we had to this last one, and this value that we have today is this: we value the Bible as God's authoritative word. We study it together and we build our lives on its truth. I want to tell you, this this value, this idea, this concept here is of such utter importance, it, it, it cannot be overstated. It can only be understated. And so I, let's, let's talk about this this morning. Uh, we value the Bible as God's authoritative word. The Bible tells us itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scripture is God-breathed. It is is the Holy Spirit of God that is at work. Now, Peter writes and he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in in the Scripture, um, again, cannot be overstated. God wrote the Scriptures by using the Holy Spirit to speak to men throughout the history of time, beginning with Moses as he wrote the first five books of the Bible, and on with with the others that contributed to writing the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit was at work. Now I know that there is always that portion of people who, who will try to find ways to minimize the scripture as to whether or not it is completely authoritative. You will find people who will 
say, well, I don't believe this portion of Scripture. I agree with this portion, but I don't agree with this portion over here. And the problem with that is, if we're going to pick and choose what we're going to believe, you see where that's going to be a problem. The problem is going to be that there are portions that you won't believe, and then there will be portions that I won't believe, and those portions will be different. And if we can't trust all of it, can we trust any of it? Are you with me? If we can't trust all of it, can we trust any of it? What makes, what makes the Scripture that says even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, what makes that Scripture authoritative and and acceptable, but the Scripture that says, love your enemies, we can ignore. That's not authoritative. That's not what God meant. You see, it's either all, it's either all authoritative, or we have to question all of it. Now the Scripture, as Paul was writing, says, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we read the Word, the Word has a tendency to correct us. The, the Word has a tendency to point out to us those areas where we are falling short. But it, also, it can also be a great encouragement to us. Just like this morning, we were talking about how much we are valued by God. That should have been an encouragement to us. And so we need to come to the point in our lives as individuals, is the Word of God authoritative or not? I can't answer that question for you. I can only answer that question for myself. I can tell you that I believe that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God and that I am basing my I'm going to base my life, I'm going to base my behavior, I'm going to base my, my eternal life on the fact that what is written in the Word of God is true, and I'm going to live by that the, as best I can. You have to make that determination as well. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is speak, or Moses is speaking to the people and he said, He, that is God, humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words that come out of the mouth of God are more important to you and I than the food that we eat. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously? Do, do we really believe that? I'm, 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 just, I'm just 
I'm, you know, I'm saying, here's what he says to us. He says, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There seems to be something of importance there. There seems to be something that God is trying to say to us that, that knowing and hearing and understanding what God's, what the words of God are, are of more importance than the physical food that we take in. Well, that would depend on whether we believe that or not. We study it together. Now, there are no scriptures that call for us to have Bible studies. There are no scriptures that, that even tell us to study. Unless you happen to read the passage from the King James Version in Timothy that says, study to show yourself approved, and that simply means to be diligent, not to study as you and I would in the... English today would think of studying. Um, but we study the Bible together. What is the purpose of us studying the Bible together? What is the reason that we would sit down like we do on a Wednesday night and open up the Bible and begin to look at the Bible? Are we just trying to gain more information? Are we trying to are we, are we trying to learn the Scriptures so that we can load up our, um, our proverbial weapons and use it to bash other Christians who don't agree with us or to beat non-Christians over the head with our knowledge of what the Bible says? Or is there a different purpose in studying the Bible together? I think there's a different purpose reason that we study the Bible together. I think the reason we sit down and we talk about the Scriptures and study them together is so that we can flesh out, if you will, that we can unpack, if you will, what the Scriptures mean to us as individuals. We're not trying to reinterpret the Scripture. There's only one interpretation of the Scripture. We don't reinterpret the Scripture. But the Scripture has application to us as believers today, what does it mean to us when we sit down and look at the Word? How, does it, how do we live it out today? How do we make it work in our lives? We know that when the law was in place, the, the leaders of the Jewish people, they interpreted what that meant. What does it mean? And I've said this to you before. What did it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, they got it down to the point where you could only walk an eighth of a mile on the Sabbath because if you went three-sixteenths of a mile, you were breaking the law. And yet Jesus came and said, well, if one of you has a donkey that falls into a ditch, you're going to go wherever that donkey is and you're going to drag him out because you don't want him to die. If, if, if it's okay to do that, then it should be okay to do some other things. They didn't see it that way. So we study the Scripture together so that we can help one another to determine what it means in, in our culture. We would agree that the culture that the Apostle Paul wrote over half the New Testament... The culture then was different than it is now. That doesn't mean the Scriptures aren't true. It doesn't mean that they, that they aren't for us today. We just have to look at them in the light of our, in the light of our culture. And how does, that, how does that live out? I mean, if we're going to determine that the Scripture that was written back then in the culture is now going to dictate to us, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. 
and I can't see because of the chairs. Ladies, how many of you are wearing pants today? Shame, 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 shame. Shame, shame, shame. Paul says you shouldn't wear men's clothes. How many, how many of you men have long hair? Oops, only one. The Bible says, the Bible says that, the Bible says that long hair is a shame to a man. Now, every man in here, okay, except maybe Rick, has longer hair than I do. So you're all, you're safe, Rick. You and I are safe. We're good, man. We are good. But everybody else, man, you just, you understand what I say? We have to, we have to flesh out what does that mean in our, in today. That's why we study the Bible together. Because our aim, all of our aim and all of our, of our collective desire should be how can I live out the truth of God's Word in Sarasota, Florida in 2017? How can I do that and, and, and show forth the, the fact that I am a follower of Jesus? How does that work? And, and does, does the way I dress and the way I look in public, does that have an impact on how people may see me? I'm not saying that it does. I'm, I'm saying those are questions we have to ask. I, I've been asked to, by the bishop of our Southeast Conference, there is a... Uh, there's a camp here in the Southeast Conference up in St. Petersburg, and the bishop has asked me to serve in an ex officio board member role with that camp. Now, the people at that camp have a different idea of what those verses of Scripture mean, and they dress in a very conservative way. I have, no, I have no fault with that. I find no problem. I went in there the other day. I, on Monday, I was there all day. And we had board meetings. And I went to one of the services. And, and you know, um, they don't wear any jewelry whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the plain wedding band that I have on my finger now would... I wouldn't be able to preach on the pulpit there by, and wear that ring. It's just... That's just... But you know what? They love Jesus. So do I. So we got together and we talked and we had, we had good fellowship together. And I worshiped with them and uh, listened to the word from one of the speakers. And, but their, in, their interpretation of that in their context is different than mine would be or yours might be. We study the scripture together so that we can come to an agreement and say, this is how we're going to live out the the being a follower of Jesus in our culture right here, right now. And I think that's important. The last point is we build our lives on its truth. We build our lives on the truth of the Word of God. And this is where... This is where coming to terms with the idea that the Bible is authoritative and that what was said is, is, is important. I, in, in Psalms 119, there's like, there's like 175 verses or something like that in, in Psalms 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And the whole, the whole chapter is about the psalmist's view of the Word of God and the law of God and the precepts of God. And he uses the word law 
quite a bit, but he's really just talking about the Scriptures. He's, just, he's talking about the Word of God. And he said, blessed, and I just picked out like five or six of them to just give you a thought, a thought pattern here. I could have picked out a hundred of them, but I, but I didn't. So it said, blessed are those whose way, blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. So those who walk according to the law of the Lord, they will be blameless in all of their ways. In verse 9, he said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. See, we, we build our lives on its truth. In, in chapter 119.11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does it mean to hide the word of God in our heart? It means to memorize it. It means to have it readily available for, for us to be able to use. How important is it for us to have the Word of God readily available to us when we are confronted with an issue? An issue of morality. An issue of a, a question of how should I behave now, Father? How, what should I do? How important would it be for us to have a scripture that would tell us exactly what we were supposed to do in that particular instance. And if it wasn't something that was specific, at least it could be a principle that we could live by. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I read that verse every time I read that verse or I think about that verse. I am reminded of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Well, Jesus, <laughs> if you are the Son of God, why don't you just make bread out of these rocks? Get behind me, Satan. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Where do you think Jesus got that? He was familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus! <laughs> we just talked about this on Wednesday night in Mark chapter 1. Jesus, you see all the kingdoms of the world? Now I know that your Father is going to give them to you, but you have to think about what you're going to have to go through in order to get them. I, on the other hand, will allow you to bypass all of that and I'll give you the kingdoms now if you'll fall down and worship me. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you worship. Jesus, we're up here on the top of the temple. Go ahead. You're the son of God. Throw yourself down. Your father won't let you hit the pavement. He will give his angels charge over you. And they'll keep you from even stubbing your toe. It is written. Don't put your God to a foolish test. Your word, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth I have set my heart on your laws. I have chosen the way of truth. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. 
value. Value. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Lord, how do I keep from stumbling on this path of life? Follow my word. It's a lamp to your feet and it's a light to your path. Jesus made this statement. This was after he had preached his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and all but the last couple of verses of chapter 7. He had some incredibly profound, radical things to say in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Things that will challenge even the most determined follower of Jesus. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It had its foundation on the fact that the person was putting into practice the words that Jesus spoke. Those hard, radical words and commands that Jesus spoke about. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There is certain, listen to me, there is certain destruction that will come from our failure to listen and put into practice the things that Jesus has spoken. Now, I want to say something to you here as we, as we finish up. Just a couple more minutes. I'm going to use a phrase that's a phrase that theologians use. And I, and I just use it not because I'm, I just, I'll explain what it is. The word that they, it, it's like a combination in it. The word is this, Christocentric. Christocentric. And what it means is, is that Christ is at the center and that we look at all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus. So when we are in the Old Testament and we hear God say to the serpent in the, that, de- that deceived Eve and, and Adam and Eve, and God says to the serpent, <clears throat> He you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. When the psalmist says, the the Lord is my shepherd, who's he talking about? Jesus. When the book of Ruth speaks about the kinsman redeemer who is Jesus. So we read the scriptures and we read even the New Testament and everything with Jesus at the center through the lens of Christ. We look at all of that through the lens of Jesus. The story of the Bible from Genesis 
through Revelation is the story of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation, we call it the book of Revelation, but the correct title of it is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Because it reveals who Jesus is in His glorified state. Not who He was when He was in the body of a man here on the earth and died for our sins. So, everything, we look through the lens of Jesus. So, here's what I want, I want to tell you. See, for John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, God, was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says in, chapter, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Okay? Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. Now, we look at the Scriptures and we look at our life as believers in light of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. That is our example. We are followers of Jesus. Um, a few weeks ago, um, Lonnie and Jimmy and their family, Mary and I, we went out to an evening service on a Sunday evening, we went out to an evening service, a special evening service that was being held out at Sarasota Christian School. And there was a gentleman there who is a pastor in our denomination up in, in um, Canada. Um, he is a teaching pastor of one of those places like, um, that has a lot of satellites. They have a main campus, but then they have a lot of satellite campuses. And they have about 8,000 members, they would be considered a mega church. And he's the teaching pastor there. Um, as a matter of fact, a video series that he put out uh, called Inglorious Pastors uh, is, uh, was the most helpful thing I've ever seen as it pertains to Jesus' commands to love our enemies. It was one of the greatest uh, teaching series I've ever seen. But anyway, he was out there in person, so we wanted to go out and see him. And uh, um, he's a, if you met him on the street, you would go, he's homeless. He's got hair down to here. You're, no offense, Paul. No? He's got you beat, man. He's got, you are, you are, uh, you know, you have a crew cut according, you know, I mean, it really, seriously, it's down to here. Um, he, he doesn't, you know, he, he, blue jeans, shirt hanging out, and he has, he was wearing a pair of Crocs with holes in them that you could see his big toes. But he has a, an incredible, uh, a credible understanding of the Word of God. Um, I will, and, and, and so some of what I'm about to say is, is what I heard from him. I'm going to give him credit. His name is Bruxy Cavey. That's his name. His parents gave him that name, Bruxy Cavey. Uh, he is, uh, uh, he's a very, just a, an incredibly down-to-earth guy. I had a chance to talk with him a little bit um, uh, before and after the service, but he, he said, I wanted, I wanted to, for my 50th birthday, he said, I wanted to get a tattoo. 